All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in Galatians chapter 1. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Galatians 1. And we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for the singing we've had so far, the worship. Um, it was a real blessing for us. We hope it was for you. We know you inhabit the praises of your people. We're two or more gathered in your name. You're in our midst. And so as your word is shared this, this evening, we pray that it would just uh, will encourage us, encourage us in grace. That's all Paul's trying to do here for this group of churches is for them to be encouraged in what they first believed. And uh, Lord, we need that in Jesus' name. Amen. It would seem that Paul's upset, and he is a little bit, but not, not really. When he writes to these churches in Galatia, it's not one church, but several in the area, it's again like the Corinthian church, from a heart of a father. Um, but also, uh, they were so excited for Jesus. They were so excited for their salvation. They were set free from the guilt and shame that they had carried with them their whole lives. The, the feelings of inadequacy and the inability to draw close to God. All that had been taken away, and they were now just supposed to be... Um, marinating or soaking in the grace of God and just thoroughly enjoying this tight, close relationship with Jesus that they now have. Well, a group of folks who've come through the area and have thrown a wet blanket on top of all of that. And that's important to understand where Paul's coming from. There is a process to salvation. It isn't a philosophy or anything like that, but there are steps and things that take place. It's a process that comes into a person's life. You, are, you realize you fall short in every way, and every attempt you've ever made to draw close to God has failed. You feel like you're as far away as you ever have been. You've been basically going off of every other religion in the world. They won't call it this, but it, including Judaism, it's a scale method, you know, have I, have I done more good than bad in my life? And based upon which way I feel that's, you know, tipping, that's how I feel that day about how close I am to God. And that's how they've been living their whole lives. And honestly, that's how Judaism was intended to be. The sacrifices that God had given Judaism to take away that guilt, hopefully lessen that side of the scale and make people feel a little like they've done more good, good being they've slaughtered a lamb to take care of one of the bad over here. You still can't feel very happy about that at the end of the day, and you weren't supposed to. And so once a person has gone through all those gymnastics of trying to grow closer to God, they realize, now what? I can't find the way. And then we get the gospel, which is the good news. It's a very simple message. Jesus Christ was sent by God, God's only son, to die on the cross for your sins, to take the penalty, the guilt, the shame, everything associated with the wrongs you've ever done away from you, place them upon himself, let the judgment of God rest upon him and not you, and then he rose from the dead, proving that it was an accepted sacrifice and that God was pleased with it. And now there is no more scale. The scale is gone. Your slate wasn't wiped clean. He didn't just take the bad things off the scale. He destroyed the scale. There is no way to measure anymore. You've been given immeasurable grace. 
an unbeatable mercy from God. You cannot out-sin God's grace. And they were thoroughly enjoying that. And that's what the person is supposed to feel. Almost a, <laughs> a guilty joy, you know? It's too good to be true. I can't believe this has happened. And over, over the moon for their relationship with God, a closeness, a peace in their heart that they've never experienced before. And that's how Paul left the churches in Galatia. Isn't that a great way to leave a church? Now, continue in that. that. That's his final words for every church he ever started. Just continue in that. Don't add to it. Don't take away. Don't do anything but thoroughly enjoy your new relationship with your Father in heaven. Well, these folks have come in. They're called Judaizers. And what they've basically done is they've come in and given a false gospel. And Paul says there is no such thing. He calls it a false gospel, but it's an imposter is what it is. There's no good news about it. It basically puts everybody back to the scale method. It isn't that it's gracious, saved, forgiven people destined for heaven with no doubt in their mind, and they're going to try to obey the law and be good people. No, that's holiness, and we all strive for that, and that's normal. No, what the Judaizers would do is come in and say, that's great, we'll accept this Jesus thing. They were losing a lot of congregants. But we need you back to the system, because that's where they had control, that's where they had the upper hand, and that's where they were personally. And you'll find that in your own life. You'll be set free from whatever bondage you grew up in, from whatever religion you grew up in, whatever your home Religion version was of a scale. It was always a scale. It's universal. You've been set free from that. When you come home with that freedom, there will be questions because you're too happy, you're too joyful, they're not, and they want to make sure that you truly understand how wrong you are, basically. The Judaizers have come in and said, that's fine, but we need you to go back to the scale, to the sacrifices, to the keeping of the law, And basically, you're now trying to get into heaven again based off of your works. And of course, that does throw a wet blanket on that celebration you were enthusiastically a part of. So that's where Paul starts off with here. He has to establish his authority again, not because he needs to establish authority, but because he needs them to believe his words is what he's about to write. For some reason, if you don't have the credentials, they just disregard the letter. So he's going to say, here's my credentials. Again, he did that for the Corinthians. He's going to have to do that for the Galatians because that's where the Judaizers attacked. Paul wasn't a real apostle. We didn't lay hands on him, the folks in Jerusalem would say. And we never saw him with the 12. He wasn't a part of the original crew. And so Paul has to explain to him how he became an apostle. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches in Galatia. He establishes the fact that he's an apostle, not from men. I know that's what they said, and they're right. I'm from Jesus. I'm directly sent. That's what apostle means. I'm a sent one, but not through people. This is not a grandson of the original. I was sent by Jesus Christ himself. On the road to Damascus, Paul was met by Jesus Christ while he was 
going to persecute the Christians. Jesus blinded him for a time. Why are you persecuting me, Paul? Saul gave him back his sight. Paul says, what must I do, Lord? And Jesus sent him to the Gentiles to minister to them. That's how he was sent. It was not through people. It was through Jesus himself directly. Paul, within the first two verses, already claims the resurrection from the dead, which defeats everything the Judaizers have ever said. If the people who read this letter could just have those two verses, that should be enough for them to get back to that grace that they've received. The resurrection from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is proof that he was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There is no more system. There are no more sacrifices. The temple is now them. Jesus lives in them. But that's not where he stops. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's all Paul wants. He gets a pretty heavy tone here as he goes into this letter, but make no mistake, grace and peace is all he wants them to have back because they had it when he left. Being saved for the first time, some of you know, most of you know what it's like. I don't know what happens to us over time. Sometimes maybe we get too much, we're too familiar with the gospel, or we forget. Some of us haven't. We've just evened out. We're mellowed, steadfast, like a ship that's decided not to go 100 miles an hour. We've settled into 50 miles an hour, and that's how fast we're going to go because we want to finish the race well. Either way, Paul wants these people to get back to not only experiencing the grace of God, that is just unmerited favor. You have not earned it. There is no scale. God has just set his love upon you so that they can have peace with God because there is no peace with the scale ever. You never know day to day where you stand. You never have peace. That's all he wants for them. So he doesn't pull any punches and he doesn't waste any time. Verse 6, I marvel, I'm stunned that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. That's, that's as strong a language as you can give somebody about something. You receive the true gospel. If somebody comes to you with something other than, if you compare them side by side with what we taught you, and it's different in any way, shape, or form, I pray that that person is accursed. You can't say go to hell in church, but Paul just did. Because that's where these people are leading these other people. Because it's not the grace of God, assurance of salvation, and just trying to be holy. Make no mistake, I said from the beginning, we all want that. This is to estrange yourself or become a stranger to the gospel of Jesus Christ and go back to the scale, to the old way of doing things, which certainly condemns you to hell. Because there is no way for you to be good enough to get to heaven from the law. 
So Paul says those who are doing this is making it a life or death issue. I pray that they don't last. Paul is stunned that it's so, it doesn't take them very long to turn away. Not just turning away from Christianity, not turning away from Paul's ideology, turning away from him, it says. I pause for effect because to go to another gospel, to add the scales back into your life is to turn from Jesus Christ. It's to reject him as your Lord and Savior. Now, you never say that out loud. I don't think any of these people have, but Paul is making it very clear to him that's exactly what's taking place. When you bring the scales back in, when you decide to become a Judaized, come back into Judaism again, you have estranged yourself from Jesus Christ. It's a different gospel. I'm warning you, and I include myself in it, Paul says, if I preach or anybody preaches to you or an angel comes from heaven and shows up himself and says, this is the new gospel, don't believe him. Paul's that confident. I hope we're all that confident. Another angel. Can you imagine having a spiritual being showing up in your bedroom and saying to you, now the gospel you've believed is okay, But I'm here to tell you the whole truth about the whole gospel, something that was never told to you, but I'm here to tell you and to give you a special book. It's written in gold. I'll give you special goggles that you can read them. That's the Mormon church. Just so you know, the angel Moroni came and gave a further gospel, even after this is written. And those who pedal on their bikes with their little white shirts and their little brown plaques, be careful. Be careful. And not only them, anybody that adds scales to it makes it a works-oriented salvation. Deeds, let them be accursed. It's a different gospel. It's another gospel. They trouble you and they pervert, they twist Satan's tactics before Jesus came was to keep people in bondage to sin, just going after the lust of their flesh. Now that that lust of the flesh has been taken care of by Christ, Satan switches his tactics now and says, well, let's just pervert this religion. They can be as holy as they want. They can kneel as often as they want to. They can genuflect and do whatever they want to do, provided they don't trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ only. If we can add, if we can twist, if we can pervert and that's what they do, then we've got them still, and their destiny is still the same as it was before Jesus came. Paul's concerned, as a father would be. Don't do it. I can't believe how fast you moved from that beautiful peace. And I always analyze that as someone who, I guess, overthink things. What is it that causes a person to not let themselves enjoy peace with God? What is it? What is it about us? We're gluttons for punishment. It's just, it just can't be that good. It can't be that true. I shouldn't be this happy. I shouldn't feel this at ease. Something's wrong with me. Nobody else feels the way I do. I need to have a little more guilt in my life and shame and feel a little less, I don't know, qualified or whatever it is that we... And Paul's like, no, that's why, it's, that's why it's good news. It's not mediocre news. It's not just further news. It's the good news, and there is no other. Verse 10, for do I now persuade men or God? 
Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. (laughs) That's where I get beat. That's where I get stoned. That's where I get left for dead. That's where I get persecuted as being a bondservant of Jesus Christ. If I was trying to please people, I wouldn't be doing this. Verse 11, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel, the good news, which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now he's going to explain that. When did Paul get this? If it wasn't from people, if he didn't hear it from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, any of the other disciples, where did he learn this gospel? Where did he learn this good news? How did he know the doctrine? Paul was a Sadducee, or not Sadducee, a a part of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee, as on the Pharisee side of things. I mean, he knew the law. He he knows the word. Um, He had to get taught, though. He had to be brought to a place, and he's going to talk about this, where God reveals all the things he ever studied, everything he ever learned, and how it all gels in Jesus, how it all comes together in Christ. But eye-opening moments, you know how you're reading something, you're like, oh my goodness, there it is. That goes with this, you know, when you're reading the text. That's amazing. Paul's going to have three and a half years of that as God takes him into the desert to teach him all these things. He's going to put, you know, two and two together. And God's going to make that moment. So he's trying to explain it to him. I didn't, I did, I'm not regurgitating what I was taught. And that's important. I'm all for being a teacher. God gives us teachers. I'm called to do this, and you're called to listen. Not to me, but a teacher somewhere. He gives teachers to the church for them to teach. But it, it can't be just a regurgitation from what you've heard. It has to go from your head to your heart has to be something you've experienced yourself and you've had that aha moment by the Holy Spirit as you're looking at the Bible yourself. That's what Paul's going to get. And that's where he said, that's where I have this. That's why I'm so passionate. That's why I'm such a, well, he's unstoppable as a preacher. Doesn't matter what you do to him, that just makes him worse as far as they're concerned. He gets louder when we try to shut him up. I wasn't taught through men. I was taught by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. The guys that came to you and gave you this Judaizer, I'd run them under the table. I mean, I, I got this. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now he goes up there for three and a half years. Why? It's an interesting number, isn't it? How long was Jesus' public ministry? How long were the apostles with Jesus when he was ministry, three and a half years. Now here, okay, you can throw this out. I always do this. I let you know ahead of time, this is my opinion. This is my opinion. But I'm almost confident Matthias was not supposed to be the 12th apostle, in my opinion. 
What I mean by that is in the upper room in Acts chapter 1, they're all praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit, waiting for Jesus told us to wait here, we're waiting here. And it's like they got bored or something and said, now who's been with us from the beginning? We got to find someone to replace Judas because the scriptures say, and it's like, they, and that's fine. And maybe that's true. So they picked two guys and then they voted and Matthias won. And then you have this moment here where Paul gets chosen by Jesus Christ on his way to Damascus, persecuting, gets taken out into the wilderness for three and a half years and has revealed everything. Can you imagine trying to teach this guy? Paul? We thought Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all these guys were tough cookies, you know, sons of thunder. Judas, he was really hard. But to get Paul out there and say, listen, he's like, what? wait, the law says this. I know, but watch. Look, see? See how I bring that together? Oh, you know. And then he had more questions for Jesus. And oh, you know, Jesus would be teaching him all these things. I didn't go to men. They're right. I wasn't approved by Jerusalem before I started preaching. I went to Arabia of all places. And that's where God taught me. Then I went to Damascus and I started preaching once I understood and that's where he almost got killed. Remember, and they had to get him out of there quickly. So that's three years or three and a half years. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Now, this was not to get approval. This was like just a powwow. Hey, I just want you to know. And he explains here the reason he's going to Peter and he's going to Jerusalem. Say, hey, I'm going to be ministering to a lot of people. I don't want there to be any back and forth or difficulties with us. I don't want you to think that I'm trying to usurp your authority or anything. I'm just letting you know that that's where I'm going to be doing. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. Those are the only two people I saw, James and Peter. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only. He, and this is what they heard, rumors about him. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith, which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Now, they wouldn't let him in the door, we know from other passages, like in the book of Acts, but they were glad that he was on their side. They just didn't trust him to come into their, their homes necessarily. After 14 years, add that up, 17 years before he actually really starts ministering. You know, that's a long time to wait, to be prepared by God to begin to minister. 17 years, now God says, I'm going to take you off the shelf. Now you're tempered, you're hardened, you're toughened, you're sharpened. Now I can use you to minister. 17 years it took. And he was willing after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel, which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So I went up there to let them know, hey, I'm ministering. I just want you to know I'm ministering. And this is what I've been preaching to the Gentiles. And they all said, that's fine. That's great. Happy to hear it. Now, I had brought Titus up with me, that's interesting, yet not even Titus, verse 3, who was with me, being Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. 
Now, he's telling them this because that's part of the Judaism process. This group of churches in Galatia, we're excited that you guys are born-again believers. We're excited you're following Jesus, whatever, makes no difference to us. Now you need to become Jews. You need to get circumcised. That's part of it. It's part of the law. And all he's saying is when I went up to talk to those two people, Peter and James, when I conferred with them and let them know what I was doing, and Barnabas and Titus came with me, Titus didn't even get circumcised. He wasn't compelled to do so. And he's a Greek. Everybody knew he wasn't circumcised. So we've set a precedence here by going up there. So whoever's telling you this, Galatia, that you need to do this, I'm telling you that didn't come from Jerusalem. Nobody told you that. How do you know? How do you know what's good, solid doctrine and what's not? How do you know false teachers from real teachers? How do you know you're in the right church? How do you know you're in the wrong church? How do you know who to listen to? When I first got saved, I grabbed every book that had the word Christian on it, and I read it. What a mistake, you know? Because I didn't know I was supposed to be a discerner. I didn't know. I was trying to... I'm a Cliff Notes guy, you know? Hey, read this. There's got to be a tiny little yellow, black, and white, or yellow and black book that I can read that'll give me the, the overview, and that ought to be enough. I'm a Cliff Notes guy. So when I got saved, I had this giant book or I could look for the cliff notes. And that's what I was doing. And I would read this guy and this guy. I mean, I realized in bookstores, there's a section of Christianity when bookstores existed. I don't know if they still do or not. <laughs> but there I was, and I was grabbing this, and I was getting all sorts of wacky stuff. And I would bring it up in Bible study, you know, because I was reading, and I mentioned it, and the guys would be looking at me saying, it is not in this book. It's not in here. Well, no, I was reading so-and-so, and that's when they begin to talk to me. Why don't you just take some time and read this for a while? Just read this from cover to cover. Are you kidding me? It's long. There's a lot of chapters and words, and, you know, I had no way to discern whether what these men were saying over here at the bookstore were true because I did not know this yet. I hadn't taken the time to know what God said. And then when I realized as I was reading this and he started putting slowly, but surely, two and two together as I would read, oh, Ezra, that kind of lines up with this over here. And it started to form a picture for me. I realized I didn't read any of those other books at all. This was going to interpret itself. This was giving me my sound doctrine. I was reading exactly what God said. I'm not getting a, a regurgitated version of it, an interpretation of it. I was just reading it. Directly from the source. Such a blessing. That's how you know. How do you know what I'm teaching tonight is right? By studying this. And if what I say, just like Paul said to the Galatians, if I say anything that contradicts this, then I go. I'm accursed. That's the point. This stands forever. We've got to know this. And we've certainly got to spend more time than an hour on Sunday and an hour on Wednesday studying it to get there. Paul says Titus didn't get circumcised, and he was a Greek. He wasn't compelled. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which by we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage 
to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Can you imagine being having that job? You know, you're ministering, you're talking about love, talking about Jesus, you're talking about grace, you're teaching the Bible, and somebody in the crowd is one of these guys saying, I wonder if he's going to tell him to be circumcised. Take notes, Bob. If he doesn't say circumcised, we know what our mission is. And that's all they're there to do. They're not hearing a word Paul's saying. They're not hearing a word from God. They're just trying to make sure everybody's following the rules that they know in their heart they're supposed to be following. Paul says, I didn't yield to them, not even for an hour, because of the truth of the gospel. So make no mistake about it, Galatians, I haven't yielded. The people in Jerusalem don't call you to be yielded. And Titus wasn't yielded. None of us have yielded to what you've willingly yielded to with Judaism. Don't do it. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Everybody wants to be your addition. They will. You decide who adds into your life and who doesn't. It's your call. There'll be others who try to usurp that and say, no, you need to listen to me. You don't need to listen to anybody. That's a choice that we all have to make. That's a decision that we let people into our lives. And, and we do it carefully. And there needs to be a vetting system for every one of us. We need to think about the people we listen to and watch. Are they across the board? Are they walking with the Lord? You know, where are they? You need to analyze all those things before you let and receive from people like that. They don't just automatically, just because they have a, a P, you know, Pastor JD, shouldn't mean anything. There's a ton of guys out there and gals out there that are trying to teach the Word of God that have no business doing it. No business. And you'll know it because they don't teach this. They don't teach the Word. They get away from it. Nor do they live it. I don't know who they were, but they didn't add anything to me. Nothing they said to me added to what Jesus told me from what I read. And honestly, when you read the Bible and you know the Bible, anything that's taught up here ought to simply be confirmation to you. How it should be. On the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel of the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles, and that they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. That's all we talked about. They didn't add anything to me. We told them about our ministry to the Gentiles, and they said, great, you go to the Gentiles, we'll go to the circumcised, and we'll meet you in the middle. Partners in the ministry. That's how it was left. So whoever came to you, Galatia, and started spewing the lies about us not being approved by Jerusalem River, you have no idea. This is how it really went down. I'm telling you the truth. He's still establishing. I mean, he's only got six chapters in this little letter to these people, but he's still trying to let them know how this all started before he can even get into the, the doctrine of the matter. Verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Because he was to be blamed 
For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Man. I mean, talk about a drive-by. I mean, he got Peter, he got Barnabas. He shot them all down. He doesn't care, you know, because he would shoot himself down if he needed to. He's not afraid of it. Like, we're just, we're just people. They all played the hypocrite. We were all ministering to the Gentiles. We were eating pig, having a nice pork, pulled pork sandwich there with everybody, enjoying life, free as birds. And then some people came from James, and you know what those guys must have looked like. Big black robes, the whole Pharisee thing. You know, Lord, me, you know, and they're all like sliding their chairs away from the Gentiles. We weren't eating with the Gentiles. We're eating, Jews are eating over here, Gentiles over there, just like it's supposed to be, just like in Jerusalem. And Paul's still eating with the Gentiles, the pulled pork sandwich. And he's looking at these guys. Are you kidding me? You were just here. These are your napkins. I saw you over here. You hypocrites. He says, I withstood him to his face. Peter, the first pope. Paul's chewing him out. You hypocrite. Hmm. Even Barnabas. That's disappointing, isn't it? I like Barnabas a lot. Barnabas is the one that went and found Paul in the book of Acts. Paul was kind of, didn't know what to do with his ministry. And Barnabas hears about this group that needs to know about Jesus and needs to be growing up in the Lord. And he says, I got the perfect guy for it. And he goes and finds Paul and brings Paul down there. And Barnabas is the guy. He's the one-on-one discipleship guy. It's who he is. Wonderful guy. Wonderful man of God. And yet... When it came to this situation here, even Barnabas pushes his chair away from the Gentiles' table. Maybe it was a moment for him. We'll give him grace, right? Maybe it was just a bad day. But it's disappointing. Paul's point is made. They're hypocrites. They didn't used to. Peter used to eat with Gentiles. Barnabas used to eat with Gentiles. None of them were afraid. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, (laughs) this is at the dinner, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? You can't argue with Paul. I mean, when Paul wants to debate you, you lose. You just do. He's too smart because he's been there. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was at the top of the pack. He was in the top 80 Pharisees in the nation. He was a part of that Sanhedrin. He knew the law better than anybody. And when Peter, this dumb fisherman, says, I'm trying to keep the law, Paul's like, you don't even, have, you don't even know the law. You don't know half of it. And you think you're going to keep it. If you don't live like the Jews when you're around Gentiles, why are you asking the Gentiles to live like Jews? I mean, what, what is this? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. It's exactly what he said in the book of Acts. I don't get saved. They don't get saved. The Gentiles don't get saved like us. We Jews get saved like them is the idea. 
We all have to come to Christ. We all have to receive this forgiveness of sins. We all have to have grace. There is no law. There is no scale anymore. But if while we seek to be justified, we're almost done. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. It's the exact same thing Jesus said in the garden. If there's any way for this cup to pass for me, if there's any other way for people to get to heaven other than what I'm about to go through tomorrow at the cross, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Well, the cup didn't pass. Jesus went to the cross because there was no other way. Everybody knows that. Everybody understands that. I cannot bring into my life that which Christ died for. He completed and fulfilled the law of God. I can't bring that back into my life. I can't bring that system of salvation back into my life. It's Christ. Now, we won't get into it, but chapter 3 starts off with, oh, foolish Galatians. That's when he gets heated about the issue. But it teaches us. It helps us understand. Our faith is rock solid. It can't be improved upon. Believing on Jesus, believing the gospel cannot get any better than what it is. We can't improve it. We're as saved as we're ever going to be. And it's a beautiful peace to rest in, especially during Christmas, especially during this time. Can we do better? Can we be a blessing to people around us? Should we? Absolutely. But it's not from salvation. It's from salvation. It's not for salvation. That's the point. Some people resist this. And I don't know what it is, except that we like lists We like to-dos, and when we keep our to-do lists, it makes us look better than those who haven't kept their to-do lists, and that's really the thrust of the scales that we keep in our lives. Am I better than the person next to me? Jesus levels the playing field. We're all saved and as saved as we can possibly be, and that's hard for people sometimes. We're in competition. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the peace that we can have and can rest in, and it doesn't have to change. It doesn't have to move. We don't have to add to it. We can't. By adding to it, we remove it. It's one or the other. It's not and. We can't have the gospel and something else. It's just the gospel. It's just the good news. So we thank you for that salvation that we have. Lord, if there's anybody here tonight that's never received that forgiveness, They're still doing the scale thing. They're still trying to figure out how to do more good than bad before they die. Take away the guilt. I pray they'd receive you as their Lord and Savior tonight. That they'd be born again. That they'd let you come into their lives. That they'd receive that forgiveness that you offer freely. That all of their sins were nailed at the cross. Past, present, and future all taken care of. There's nothing they can do to improve that. And from that grace given, from that beautiful gospel from your forgiveness, that they, they now walk in humility and in love 
and in compassion for those around them and in, in excitement. They can share that with all those in their lives that are depressed and lost and feel lonely and without you and distant. But as they're brought close, they can bring others close to you also. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.